Chapter Eighteen of the Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kit Carson had left his home in Missouri when only a boy, and he was now in the prime of a vigorous young manhood. The years since he turned his back upon his old home had been busy and eventful ones, and now, as is often the case with those placed as he was, he longed to visit the scenes of his childhood, and to meet and shake the hands of those of his old friends who were still among the living. In the spring of 1842, Carson went eastward with a train of wagons carrying goods to the States. When the borders of Missouri were reached, he bade his companions good-bye and made his way back to his old home. His experience was touching. His parents were dead. The old building which would ever linger in his memory had tumbled down, and nearly every one he met was a stranger. The cheeks of the hardy mountaineer were wet with tears, and with a sigh he turned his face away for ever. Carson had never seen a large city, and he made his way to St. Louis where he spent more than a week in sightseeing. Before the end of that time, the old yearning for the mountains, prairies, and streams of the West came back to him, and he engaged passage on a steamer up the Missouri. On the same boat John C. Fremont was a passenger. He was two years younger than Carson, and had been commissioned second lieutenant in the Corps of Topographical Engineers in 1838. Four years later he projected a geographical survey of the entire territory of the United States from the Missouri to the Pacific. Carson was attracted by the fine, manly, and intellectual appearance of Fremont and learning he was in search of a skillful mountaineer, he introduced himself, referring in a modest fashion to his experience in the West, and expressing the belief that he could be of service to the explorer. Fremont was an excellent judge of character, and was favorably impressed with Carson from the first. The answers to the inquiries which he made concerning the famous guide and mountaineer were satisfactory in the highest degree. He engaged Carson as his guide, agreeing to pay him a salary of one hundred dollars a month. The party of explorers were mainly gathered in St. Louis. It was composed mostly of Creole and Canadian voyagers, Charles Pruce, a learned German, a young son of Colonel Benton, which statesman was the father-in-law of Fremont. Several other friends, including a noted mountaineer named Maxwell, who was employed as the hunter of the party. Including the commander, the entire company numbered twenty-eight. With this party of explorers, Fremont ascended the Missouri until the mouth of the Kansas was reached, when they disembarked and made their preparations for the long and dangerous journey before them. The march westward began June tenth, 1842. The course lay along the banks of the Kansas. All the party were well armed and well mounted, excepting eight men, each of whom drove a cart drawn by two mules. These carts contained the stores, baggage, and instruments of the expedition. A number of spare horses were taken along, so as to provide against loss in that respect. In addition, they had four oxen intended to serve as a reserve in the event of provisions running short. It was the custom to arouse the camp at daybreak and turn out the animals to graze. Breakfast followed, and the march was begun. The noon halt lasted from one to two hours, and the afternoon's march ended a short time before sunset. The tents were then pitched, 
horses hobbled and turned out to graze, and the evening meal prepared. When it became dark, all the animals were brought in and picketed, the carts arranged so as to serve as barricades and guard mounted. An Indian guide conducted the expedition for the first forty miles along the Kansas, when he departed and the responsibility was turned over to Carson. The pilot had guided the steamer out of the harbor and upon the great ocean, and henceforth the hand of Carson was to be at the helm. The soil over which they journeyed for many miles was of the most fertile character. Numbers of Indian farms were seen, and one could not but reflect on the possibilities of the future for the red man, who should abandon war and give his energies to the cultivation of the ground. Such an expedition could not go far without a taste of the trials that awaited them. On the second night the four spare horses seemed to become disgusted with the whole enterprise, and turning their heads eastward started on a rapid gallop for the States. Their loss was too serious to be borne, and a number of men were dispatched in pursuit. The chase was a long one, and the animals were not recovered for several hours. One of the men lost his way and was forced to spend the night on the open prairie. At midnight it began to rain and then the exceedingly unpleasant discovery was made that the tents on which the explorers relied for protection and shelter were so thin that they were drenched as if the water came through a sieve the morning however brought clear weather and bright sunlight and all were in high spirits the scenery for a time was of a pleasing and picturesque character and they pushed contentedly forward until they reached the ford of the kansas one hundred miles from the point where it emptied into the missouri the stream was found so swollen from recent rains that it could not be forded. Accordingly, several of the mounted men forced their animals into the stream and swam them across to serve as guides for the rest. They succeeded quite well, excepting the oxen, which, after floundering a while, landed on the same side from which they started. The following morning they succeeded in crossing. Among the useful articles with which Fremont had provided himself was an India-rubber boat, twenty feet long and five feet wide. This was very buoyant, and the carts and baggage were carried over piecemeal in it, with the exception of the last two carts. Laden with these, the boat left the shore, but had not gone far when the man at the helm, who was exceedingly nervous, managed to capsize the craft with all its precious cargo. The hunters were so dismayed over the prospect of losing their stores that nearly all plunged into the stream and made frantic efforts to save what they could. Several did not stop to remember that they could not swim, so that the principal efforts of some of the others were directed to saving them. Most of the goods were recovered, but nearly all the sugar dissolved, and every grain of coffee was lost. It would be hard to imagine any deprivation greater than that, to which this misfortune condemned the explorers. Carson and one of the others made such strenuous efforts in the water that they were ill the next day, and Fremont remained in camp for twenty-four hours with a view of giving them time to recruit. The journey westward progressed without any special incident. A large party of immigrants on their way to Oregon were several weeks in advance of the explorers. Bad fortune seemed to have followed them from the start, and numerous freshly made graves were seen. One of the immigrants who had been peculiarly unfortunate came into camp with a hunter on his way home. He took charge of the letters which the explorers desired to send to their families. 
the party soon reached the pawnee country where they were forced to unusual vigilance for those indians have long been noted as most persistent horse thieves game was abundant large flocks of wild turkeys were found roosting in the trees along the streams elk antelope and deer were plentiful and as for bisons they were beyond all computation one day a member of the company happened to be riding at the rear galloped up in hot haste shouting indians he declared that he had seen them distinctly and counted twenty-seven an immediate halt was called and carson leaping on one of the fleetest horses crossed the river and galloped over the prairie mounted on a fine horse without a saddle says fremont and scouring bareheaded over the prairies kit was one of the finest pictures of a horseman i have ever seen he soon returned quite leisurely and informed them that the party of twenty-seven indians had resolved itself into a herd of six elk who having discovered us had scampered off at full speed End of chapter 18